Church, are we ready? Here's the thing that God wants to say to us today. King David was the one that is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the king of Israel, and he had a heart after God. He was a, a warrior, king, leader, and he had a desire to build a house for God. There was a day that he was sitting in his own castle, temple, I mean his own uh, house there, the, the, his uh, castle area, what he was in anyway, and he was looking around and he was like, oh man, I'm living in this place. And God's living in a tent because, you see, there was never a, a church building on the planet for God. And all their history, God had traveled with them through the tabernacle, which was a takedown tent. And so David was in his palace, and he looked out, and he saw that, and he was like, I need to build a house for God. And God was like, David, that's awesome that your heart's like that, but you can't do it. Let's leave that to your son. That will be his so King Solomon comes to the throne, and David had stored up great wealth and abundance, materials and things to help build the temple. And God commissioned Solomon to build the temple. When it was complete, you read in the scriptures in 2 Chronicles, where Solomon brought incredible amount of sacrifices to God. It was a temple that was one of the wonders of the world. The walls overlaid with gold, all kinds of amazing things and designs and just a beautiful temple of God. He made these incredible sacrifices to God, and he made this incredible prayer to God. And God answered. And in God's answer, there's a verse that probably anyone around the church throughout your life has heard. But all we've heard is this one verse out of God's response. And it's this verse, and it's the verse that you usually hear around National Day of Prayer. It's verses that you might see devotionals written, written about. And you've probably read it, but let's read it again for just a moment. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. That is an amazing promise from God. It really is. But remember who he's talking to? It's his people. And he's talking to them about their need of turning to and turning from. And the response will be that God will respond when we act in obedience. You already knew that was probably going to come up today. <laughs> so as you look into the scriptures, though, what happens is, is a lot of times we use these verses and what we're saying is, hey, God, do this for us. We need you to heal our land. It's broken. It's messed up. Forgive us. Come and fix it. What we're saying is, God, we like the easy life we've always had. We want to preserve that so God forgive us and help us to keep living in this free land we have to do as we please. That's a lot of the way that the Christian church is praying. But when we read the whole thing in context of God's actual response to Solomon, we're going to see something a little bit different than what we might think. Because you see, as always, and it's a theme that God's been bringing us down through, when we read it in that context, we see God giving promises of blessings for sure, God answering prayer, God moving on their behalf, God redeeming a whole people. But we also see God saying that he's going to judge, and he's going to bring the hammer down, and he's going to cause some problems in people's lives. We're talking about the same God, right? Okay, so here's Solomon. He dedicates the temple. Everybody in Israel is like super excited. It's like, ooh, man, we have the house of God. We serve the living God. We are his people. 
Big time stuff, right? Okay. Then it says this. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. So I want you to see this church. See, God responded to Solomon and said, now I've made a decision. I'm responding here, and I have chosen to do this. There you go. I've heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, remember this is God talking, I might shut up the heavens so there's no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and have set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. Isn't that awesome? God's like, I like this place. It's going to have my name on it. I want you to do what I say, but <laughs> God's like, hey, put my name out there in shining lights. That's great. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the decrees that I command and the commands that I have given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot the people from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive, now all who pass by will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord the God of their ancestors who brought them up out of Egypt, and they worshiped other gods and instead bowed down to them. That is why he has brought all these disasters on them. I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, the butt part is pretty heavy. Kind of scary. Kind of God. And the whole key to everything that is here is his people doing what he says. And if his people don't do what he says, there's going to be hell to pay. That's what he says. That's not being a swear word. That's saying reality. God's like, look, I don't mess around. But if we would look at this and we would notice something, he's saying to us and to his people, us, but we're going to Israel right now. It'll come to us. Just stay with it. God is the one that was causing the rain not to fall. God was the one that was causing the crops not to produce. God was the one that was bringing the plagues upon the land. And it was all for the purpose of waking up his people. See, he's trying to get their attention. He's like, you need to wake up. You need to repent. You need to turn to God. My people are the ones that need to repent. This is an awakening, a wake-up call. The bad stuff that's happening around you is God saying, Hello! Did you forget about me? You're living your own life, doing your own thing. And God's like, this is a wake-up. This is an opportunity. This is my mercy. See? Early in my pastoral life and my Christian walk with God as he called me to be a pastor, 
I did some things that I'd never done before because it's what you do. And God had asked it, right? So my, my wife's cousin, first off, I'll tell you, my father-in-law passed away suddenly of a heart attack at the age of 58. Kim and I found him in the house ourselves, and we went through that, and uh, it was like the second funeral I did. I had just done another one for her aunt, and now I'm doing my father-in-law's funeral. And um, we walked through that difficult time and season. My wife was the only Christian in her family, and we went down that road and did all that. I had no idea that while I was speaking the funeral and I was telling people they need Jesus, that my wife's cousin Johnny was in that room. I never met Johnny, didn't know Johnny. He was distant from the entire family. But God knew. And a little while later, I got word that Johnny, her cousin, was in the hospital with brain cancer and that he wasn't expected to live. 36 years old, young man. And so he was placed in a, a hospice, but it, back then it was more of a rest home type situation for hospice and just left there in a back room down the uh, aisle just waiting for him to die. There was no hope. They couldn't do a thing. And so when I found out about it and I was praying, I like, Lord, I want to go and see this guy. I don't know if he knows you. And I had the opportunity to go and meet Johnny for the first time while he's laying there on the bed and he could not get up. And God allowed me to go there. He had been given 10 months to live. It had already been one year that he'd been on that bed when I met him. God allowed him to live for another 8 to 10 months after that. And I began to go pretty much as, as five days a week. Monday through Friday, I'd go and visit Johnny, sharing Jesus with him, talking about his soul. He surrendered and gave his life to Jesus Christ right there on that bed. I was able to baptize him there. He couldn't get up. He couldn't move. Some of y'all maybe don't think this works. It works. I sprinkled him there in the bed as a baptism in his faith, and he was ready to meet Jesus. Him and I talked about us having a walk together and that God would allow us to do that, and I look forward to that day that we do. I was asking God to heal him. I was believing and praying and fasting, and I hadn't seen a lot of healing in my life, and I was like, God, I see this in the Bible. You do this. I want you to heal Johnny and get him out of that bed. And God showed me something one day through Johnny himself. He's laying there. He had chemo burns where they had put the stuff in him and it had leaked out. And you could see the bones in the back of his hands. Everything was exposed. It was an open sore. He had bed sores. He dwindled down to nothing. He was just like what you see when someone's eaten by cancer. <laughs> I thought, well, man, I can't ever forget this moment. He looked up at me, laying on that bed, and he said, Dave, I thank God for my cancer. <laughs> you want to talk about, like, blow you away a little bit right there? That happened. I was like, what? He's like, I know. I would have never came to God if I wasn't right here in this bed the way that I am. Amen. See, what I discovered for myself that I didn't have a clue about was God's mercy was in action. And where all of us see things like that and other issues, uh, like judgment, Johnny saw it as mercy. He said, I would have never came to God. I thought I had everything I needed to do. I was doing my own thing, truck driver down the road. I didn't need nobody. He said, I could have had a heart attack. I could have been killed in an accident. He said, instead, I got to lay here and process life itself 
and I know Jesus, and I know where I'm going, and I'm like, man, I walk, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> see, why, why am I saying that to you? Because you see, God will use whatever he needs to to bring us to that place of repentance. And some of us maybe are praying for our family members or our kids or those that we love to get out of certain situations, and God's like, they need to be there. See, he says, I'm the one that brings the plagues, the no rain. I'm trying to get you to wake up, to realize you need me and to repent and turn to me. Church, when I look at this, see, we were talking about believing last week. Not just like believing like the devil. He believes in God, but he's not saved. We were talking about believing in faith and the transformation of what that belief comes upon us. So today, God wants us to talk about this repentance. Because you see, a lot of people repent. They're sorry when they get caught. Everybody's sorry when they get caught. And they say they're sorry. And you and I know it's fake. I mean, no matter how much they try and put it out there, like, oh, we're sorry. No, you did that, and you know it, and you're not sorry. You're just sorry that it wasn't accepted or okayed. There's a difference between repentance and repentance, just like there's a difference between believing and believing. And when we look into the Word of God, and we look in the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic, Hebrew, Old Testament, New Testament, mostly Greek, some Aramaic. When you talk about this, see this repentance... Repentance is turning from. So it's like, I am doing my own thing, living in sin. I have turned from God. That's me in charge. That's me being God, not needing him. I'm doing what I want to do, living my life for me, and I'm going in this direction. When I get to the place where I finally wake up and realize I don't know what I'm doing, and everything's all jacked up, and it's because of me, and I finally repent, what that means is I'm like, whoa, I'm wrong. You're right. I'm going to go your way. So I repent of the wrong. I turn to the right and I begin to pursue God. So church, true repentance does not allow us to follow and pursue sin because it's the opposite direction of God. So when I repent, I no longer pursue sin. I pursue God. You can't pursue God and sin at the same time. True repentance is turning from and turning to. It's an about face. So when we talk about repenting, a lot of people will repent. But have you turned? So God says this, the plagues, the challenges, he will bring. And he tells Solomon, look, I love you. I've got this place. I love my people. But they got to do what I say because I'm God. And sometimes afflictions come because we've turned away. We've turned our back on God. And yet we know him. We're called by his name. But we're still pursuing our own thing. And he's like, that's not going to work. I'm going to bring you to the place where you either repent or I remove you. He said so. He's like, look, I don't care if my name's there or not. I will be the one that removes you and tears the house down. God's serious, church. God's very serious about life. He's very serious about his relationship with us. He's very serious about where his name is promoted and what buildings have his name upon them. 
He is talking to his people, not the world. He says, look, the mercy of God is the, the plagues, the lack of rain, the problems. That's the mercy of God. He's like, if you don't respond to that, I'm talking about the answer to prayer that he gave to Solomon. I'm repeating that to you in this way. He's like, that's my mercy. I'm trying to get you to repent. But if you don't, I'm bringing the hammer down. God says, I will bring the hammer down and I will destroy it. Well, so church, we could sit here today and like look at Israel and say, well, you guys are stupid. Yeah, you had all that behind you. You knew it and you still did it. We can look at them and say that. But church, listen, we know as we sit here today and look around us in the world, sin and society, the corruption that's there. Um, I mean, really, isn't it expected? I mean, how would they not? They're not following God. They don't know the truth. They're not living for truth. They're living for self. And self is the very essence of sin, and that's what's corrupt in our world around us. And it's going to continue to corrupt itself. However, God is addressing his people who know who he is. They know what he's done. They know what he expects from them. And that response is to the ones who know him. So the church, those today, talking about us now, let's move up into the present moment. The church, those who say they know God, they're assembling because they worship God, the very institutions that are assembled around the world this very day, singing songs, hearing talks, doing all this stuff, all the churches that are there because they believe. Church, God is saying, repent or else to the church. <laughs> it's great to look at the Old Testament and say, well, yeah, they were dumb. They, they screwed that all up. And, uh, you know, God not only destroyed that temple, he did. He brought the Babylonians right in there, and they destroyed that temple, just like God said. He removed the people, got them out of his sight, destroyed the temple down to nothing. The whole while before all that was taking place, the word of God was coming through prophets, priests, telling them to repent or else it's coming, because God's merciful. He allowed for seasons of what we would consider suffering to awaken us, and they didn't respond, and so judgment fell. Temple destroyed, people dismantled, moved away. You know God's a God of mercy. Isn't he amazing? Because see, when the prophet Jeremiah was talking to the people about all this, God's like, okay, Jeremiah, you've given all the warnings you're going to give. Now tell them it's too late. The hammer's fallen. But I also want you to know I'm going to offer you another opportunity down the road. And Jeremiah gave them the word that in 70 years, God would allow them to come back and become a people again. And God was good to his word. He did it. Not only was he good to his word that they came back, they rebuilt the temple. It wasn't as nice as the first one, but it was God's house. And guess what happened? It got destroyed again. Aren't we crazy? I mean, we're looking back there and it's like, well, that was dumb. Well, let's do it again. 
God's like, you don't do what I say. You start doing your own thing, I'll wipe you out. So what did they do? They rejected the Messiah himself. The church leaders had him crucified. Jesus in his ministry said, not one stone will be left upon another of this house. In 70 AD, God's word was fulfilled once again and the temple was destroyed and has not been rebuilt since. See, you don't mess around with God. Church, we don't mess around with God. He's good to his word. He's God, we're not. We are called to live an obedient life. It is a life of love and freedom, but it is an obedient life. And that is where you find freedom when you live in the fullness of God. So let's look at something now. Let's move into the New Testament church era. Now churches are meeting all over and churches have different buildings and the church of Jesus Christ has been born. It's going and it's spreading throughout the world. The last remaining apostle is John. Every other one of them had been martyred for their faith. Here's John. He had been dropped off on an island like England did to Australia where they just took the prisoners and threw them over there in Australia. See, that's what happened here. John was taken to the Isle of Patmos, and they just kicked him off because it's like, we're not listening to that Jesus stuff anymore. And it was on a Sunday morning that Jesus appeared and gave the book of Revelation to, to John. Now think about it, church. Jesus sent this letter to the seven churches. This is about 60 years after his ascension and the fall of the Holy Spirit. So infantile church age. And in the New Testament, when you're looking at these specific names, like the church in Ephesus, it wasn't like CFF. It's just one little church in the town of Ephesus. It was the church of Ephesus. We're not the only church of Jesus in Tucson. We are a church of Jesus Christ in Tucson called Christian Faith Fellowship. So there's other churches that are preaching and serving Jesus in our town, thank God. So what was happening here in these letters is as the Holy Spirit was anointing John, Jesus was giving the vision. John was instructed to write it and send it to the churches, plural. So the letters would go to all the different churches in the region. So like, we're going to read it today. Then it would go over there to Pantano. Then it would go to New Life. Then it would go to, you know what I mean? Like throughout the town. So all the Christian churches were hearing these letters. So now the reason why we're going to these letters is because, see, church, like, we can look at that Old Testament statement of God and say, like, well, God's good to his word, and he put the whack on them. But guess what? There's a similar letter written to me and you in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, it says this. As Jesus is writing to the individual churches, and their names are above this, it doesn't matter which names they are. Let's just hear what he had to say to the church of Jesus Christ. Remember that, church. Please remember that. These are churches that were there because they were worshiping Jesus as the Savior of the world. Right? You got that? Listen to what it says. I know all the things you do preached a message on that several times. Jesus knows everything. All about us, church. He knows me individually and you. There's nothing he doesn't know about us. And so he sends the message to the church. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not, and you've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Isn't that awesome? So far, I'm wanting to be the pastor of that church. So far. (laughs) 
I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to have a patient, long-suffering church, moving along and doing it for Jesus and all that? Man, there's this incredible statement that's made next. Listen to that. Like, Jesus is telling them, wow, you're doing this good, you're doing this good, you're doing this good, but. Isn't that crazy? Okay, church, here's the but of it. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Do you hear that turning back again? Do you hear that? Okay, before I read the rest of what he said to him, let's get that picture in our mind. You see, he's talking to the church and he's like, you know how you turned to me and you loved me? And when you loved me, you loved everybody in the church around you? He's like, look how far you've fallen. You've begun to turn the other direction. Not only are you not loving me like you used to, you're not loving one another. You're turning away. He's like, you need to remember where you were and turn back around and get right. How do you do that? He says right here, if you repent, I will come. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus is like, hey, church, you better wake up. And if you don't turn around and get right with me, I'm going to be the one that comes against you. Do you remember what God said about the temple? He's like, look, I'm going to wipe it out. Now, God didn't come down and go, oh, I told you. No, he allowed the Babylonians to come in and destroy it and take everything away. He just used them as a tool. Jesus says, I'll remove you as a church. See, he doesn't mess around. See, church, you know we're called Christians, right? Which Christ is in our name. When you call yourself a Christian, God doesn't mess around with that. If you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. He's like, I'll remove, I'll get you out. I am serious about my name. See, church, they were doing some things right. We read that, right? Jesus saw it. Jesus saw they were doing some of the things right. But the stuff they weren't doing right, they knew they were supposed to be doing. And they were doing it. Yep. See, what the issue was for them and the need for repentance was the fact that they knew what it meant to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. They knew what that meant because they'd done it. But now they become where, well, you know, I don't really like you guys that much. So it's like, mm. well, God, you know, it's cool that you're my God and all that, but, you know. And they were turning. Their heart was getting cold. They were turning from God. And Jesus is like, you better turn around or I'm coming against you, church, that bears my name. See, it's all about our obedience. If there's disobedience, there must be repentance. If there's disobedience that's turning away, we have to turn towards repentance. See, it's not just repenting, but turning from those things toward God again and doing what he says. So many church people are justifying themselves because they are doing some things right. I'm not what I used to be. I'm a lot better now. Are you doing what you know God's saying to you to do? 
or are you not doing what you know God is telling you not to do? Right? I mean, it's not a scale, church. It's not like, well, I'm doing five things right, but I'm not doing this. But this should balance out. No, Jesus died to make us right. The good and the bad doesn't make us right. We're either in or out. We're right or wrong, and it's God's way or not. It's not a mess around game. Church, we're not talking about perfection and saying like, hey, everybody, you're all a mess. You're screwed up. If you're not perfect, you're done. No, that's not even what Jesus said. Listen to what he said. You used to love me. You used to love one another. Right now, you're not. You're turning away. So they're not doing what they know they're supposed to do. A lot of Christian people are justifying what they're not supposed to do or what they want to do based on what they are doing right. That don't work. See, when you willingly, knowingly do things contrary to what God says or what the Holy Spirit has already spoken to you about, that's called disobedience. That's sin. That's turning from, not turning towards. That doesn't work. (laughs) God's not like, well, they did pretty good this week. Not, not at all. He's not impressed with our pretty good. He's not, he's not impressed with that. Well, I'm trying. Stop trying and do it. He's calling us to obedience. Stop worried about the stuff that you don't know about or trying to figure out the next step. Do what he's telling you to do now. Church, like, let's go to the next church. We could be here all day. We're not going to be, so don't get nervous. But we're going to go into Revelation 2. This is another church. Listen to what he says. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you've remained loyal to me. Church, right here in Tucson, Arizona, I want you to know we live in a city where Satan has his throne. Literally. I don't know if you've been around Tucson, but I want you to know we were never formed as a Christian city. We've never been a Christian city. And we've been founded upon less than God. And if you don't realize that, you should take a little bit of a tour downtown and start driving around and look at all the murals on the walls. Because every single one of them are spiritually dark and none of them glorify God whatsoever. I'm talking about the murals the city has put up. This city is founded upon sinful principles. And here we are, and so I want us to hear this address from Jesus to his church. He knows where we live. <laughs> I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you remain loyal to me. Woo! You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. You know, like I said, right now, like the opening statements, I'd have pastored any one of these churches. But the truth is, I want to run from every one of them. Because then this goes on and says this, but I have a few complaints against you. Isn't that crazy? Where Jesus is like, you know what, uh, whoa, but, you know, good, 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 but. If you hear him say that in your life, please, man, run to him. Run to him. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. 
In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Church, please hear this. See, Jesus is saying some of you are doing the right things. However, those of you that are doing the right things, you know you have people among you who aren't. They're not following the gospel. They're not living the truth. They are embracing false teachings. They're living in sin, and you're tolerating it and allowing it. Amen. Jesus is like, no, that's not the way it works. And he said, all y'all need to repent. So the righteous living good and doing the right things needed to repent as well. Why? Because they were allowing people that they knew were following wrong teaching and practicing perversions and sexuality to live among them and just allowing them to do their thing. So what we found as we look into the message from Jesus is that the tolerant church allowing people to live in sin, believe false teachings. You know, like, well, they can live how they want to and believe what they want to believe. I know what's right. That doesn't work. Jesus is saying to us, like, no, we need to call them out. They need to know that they're living wrong and that they need to align with the truth of Jesus Christ. So, see, we're called by God to live the truth and call others to live the truth. It's not to each their own. And it's not just that they can follow their own truth. We have to follow God's truth. Church, right here in this city, the very first Protestant church, which was a Methodist church right here in Tucson, was flying a pride flag over their church last month. See, it's like that's supposed, that church does have the name of Jesus on it. Do you think God's like, well, that's okay? No, he's not. And as a matter of fact, church, see, God's saying to us, it's like, are you going to let them live that way and do that to my name? I'm not telling everybody to go burn the church down, so please don't be stupid. <laughs> not at all. See, what we're, we're being called by God to do is, is to reach out to people that are messed up and tell them they need to repent or else. God will be the one that wipes them out, not us. It's not my job. However God wants to do it. See, every single time you watch this, Jesus says, I'll remove you. If you're not doing it right, I will remove you. You have my name. Oh, do you see the similarity of what God said back in the Old Testament to the temple, to what Jesus is now saying to the church? It's really the same message. He's like, either live it or don't, but you got my name, so I suggest you do. Because you don't want me coming against you. The tolerant church was going to be removed, Jesus said, and I'll do it. See, it may be the government, it may be some other institution, it may be something else, but it's going to be Jesus that does it. He just uses them, just like he did the Babylonians, just like he did the Romans. He'll use whatever tools he wants to use to accomplish what he says he'll do. Yeah. Let's go to the next church. I know all the things you do. Do you hear the familiarity with everything we're hearing? 
Jesus is like, hey, y'all, just want y'all to know nothing's hidden. So don't think you're like doing all this in front of church people, but you're living over here like this. He's like, I know all about that. That's what he's letting us know, right? I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. I'm like, woo, when I'm reading this letter to the church, like, finally. Yeah, we got somebody doing the right thing. They're growing. Jesus is like, I see you. You're doing all this. You're doing this. See, the fruit of the Spirit's happening. You're developing. You're be- maturing. You're becoming like Christ. So right now, I'm like, this is the church, right? But... <laughs> I have this complaint against you. All right, church, see, I'm a, I, I, God is saying to us today, right now, right here, this is like so critical for his church. He's like, look, man, stop looking at only what is good and right and righteous among you and start to look at yourself and make sure that you're doing what God has called you to do to the fullest. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent. There's God's mercy. But she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering. And those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. So you see this? Like there's a responsibility for us that are living right to not just permit false teachings, false prophets, false teachings to corrupt other people. And especially when it's aligning itself with things that are contrary to what God says and perverting things in sexuality. See, what you already know that I have spoken about, you're not dealing with. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, they weren't participating in it. The, the people that were doing the right things, they weren't participating with the Jezebel prophet. They weren't participating in the sexual sin. But he did say, unless you repent, I'll remove the church. <laughs> See, allowing it to happen in their midst. God's not okay with it. He's not okay with, with any kind of sin in our midst when we're knowing what we're supposed to do and we're not doing it. We're doing our thing instead of God's thing. Revelation 3, we go there now in verse 1. I know all the things you do. See that? Every one of them. And that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. A reputation. The Christian church the church of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior of the world. See, there's a reputation of life. And Jesus is like, you got that reputation out there like the world has heard the mantra? But you're dead. Wake up. I'm reading the scriptures. Wake up. But if you're sleeping, you should wake up too. Wake up. (laughs) 
Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Jesus is like, man, you're on life support. There's a little tiny blip that pops up every once in a while that says there is some life here. He's like, wake up. Man, let's make it happen. For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. I know all the things you do. Sorry, I was going to jump ahead again. Either repent or else. Repent or else. Repent or else. Do what you know I'm telling you to do or else. Do you hear a theme maybe? Everybody knows the Laodicean church. That's where we're at, the last church. So you can, thank you, Jesus. I know all the things you do. Same thing, right? I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, for then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. I correct and discipline everyone I love. You remember that statement when you were a kid? Maybe your parents didn't use it, but they said, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it does you, and they whooped you. <laughs> it never makes sense to me. I'm like, dude, that stings my butt, and you're just standing there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you never had one of those, you probably needed to, and that's probably part of your problems. <laughs> All right. Uh, not abuse. I'm talking about discipline, right? Okay, listen to what Jesus says to us. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So you see, now let's take a step back to how we started this. And I talked about how Johnny saw cancer as God's mercy. Nobody sitting here that's healthy would see it that way. Nobody. No way. We're like, oh, no, don't let that happen. And we're praying for healing over everybody. But see, it's mercy. So it was God's discipline bringing him into this relationship so that they could have an experience of that relationship and love. And then here's what God says to us. Guess what? It's not just the lost people that I discipline. I do this to my children that I love. (laughs) Why? Because we all need to be woke up every once in a while. We start doing our own thing. We start turning from because we're like, oh, I got this. As soon as you say, I got this, expect a whooping. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. He's like, come on, church, wake up. Now, in all seriousness, church, I feel like today as God's given this message, this is like such a critical moment. It's such a critical moment in our lives, in the the nation we live in, and in the history of the world. It is. It's this moment. It's an opportunity to repent. 
It's an opportunity to get right with God. Do what he says. And then God can do what he wants to do. God doesn't want like the end to come. He doesn't. He wants everyone to repent. You remember reading that in the Bible? He's like, the reason why I'm letting all this keep going on is because I want everybody to repent. And so today I want us to know, see, there's hope for the church. There's hope for our families, for those that we love around us. There's hope, and it's Jesus. There's hope for our city. There's hope for our nation, and there's hope for the world. It's happened in the past. There's been two global awakenings. I mentioned this last week. It's happened before where God moved upon the entire planet where people were repenting. Not everyone repented, but a movement where the majority of people turned to God. That can happen again. I mean, no prophet in the Bible said there's going to be two great awakenings and then it's over. Remember we talked about the city of Nineveh last week and that God sent Jonah there to preach that he was going to destroy it in 40 days? But they repented and God didn't destroy the city in 40 days. See, church, I feel in my heart that God is saying, church, come on, I know. I know all about it. It's time to repent. And so my first action step is this. Have you repented of your sin? And are you following Jesus Christ yourself? Are you? If you're not, today's the day. The second action step is this. What are you tolerating in those close to you that God has clearly spoken against? And why aren't you talking to them about it? (laughs) The next one. What are you doing or not doing that you know God has already spoken to you about? See, it's that obedience thing again. It's like God's already talked to you about that. Why aren't you doing it? Or if God's already talked to you about it, why are you still doing it? Either way. See, it's that disobedience, that turning from. I want you to know it's not okay that you're doing most of the things right. God's saying, that doesn't work with me. You've got to do everything you know I'm asking you to do right. Again, remember this. I'm not preaching a perfectionism that you can't obtain. No, God's only asking you to be obedient to what you know. Do you follow that? That's all he's asking. You don't know it all, neither do I. That's why we're growing in Christ, because we're learning more about him and what else is wrong with me. And so what we have to do is remain obedient to God in what he's saying. Don't ignore it, because he's not going to ignore it. time for the church to repent it's time for the church to live in full obedience to god and this is the day those of you that are online those of you that are in the house this is the moment you know the holy spirit's faithful i know he's faithful you know what he's talking to you about it's time to repent of whatever we need to repent of turn fully to god and embrace fully the obedience that he's called us into the altar's open You don't have to kneel when you come forward. If you can't, you can stand. Whatever you need to do, I just want you to know the altar is open and God is inviting you into this incredible experience of freedom to know him. It's open. Would you stand? It makes it easier for you to come forward if you need to and it makes it easier for your neighbor. Don't worry about anyone else or what they think right now. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. The only thing is what God knows, and God knows. He knows. He knows.
He's calling you, church. Thank you, Jesus. Just going to allow the Holy Spirit to move as He sees fit. I want you to be obedient to Him. Whenever we're ready and our hearts are good with God, then we're going to turn and go out with God, right? That's what we're going to do when we leave here today. We're going out with God in full obedience to God and everything he wants us to be. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, that you haven't already removed us, that you haven't whacked us, but they're calling us. You're trying to wake us up. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit for convicting where we need conviction, for affirming where we need affirmation. Thank you, God. Lord, help us to be your church, to live as your church in full obedience to who you are. Give us the grace to speak to those we need to speak to. Give us the boldness. Give us the strength, God, to be the church you died to make us, we pray. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You guys stay here at the altar. Stay in your seats. You do whatever God's asking you to do. Please don't just go because I say amen. Let's be what he asks us to be. Do what he asks us to do. God bless you today. Thank you.